Good morning. It's good to gather under these circumstances together through uh, video. And so I'm just grateful to be able to do that. If you're anything like me, uh, there's only so much uh, Netflix you can watch in a week, only so much music you can listen to. Uh, thanks be to God for the beautiful weather he's given us to be able to get out and about. Um, I've been trying to do and hopefully get done uh, a marathon through all the Marvel movies um, in the next few weeks since we're going to have nothing but time on our hands. So uh, if you're like me, my kids are loving Marvel. Uh, Tennyson, Cedar, Cedar's loving to put all the Legos together. And so something to preoccupy our time as we're cooped up inside. Uh, but thanks be to God that he did give us a great, beautiful day yesterday. Uh, it was the first day that we were able to get out and about and get under the sprinkler and get wet. Uh, I wasn't going to do that because the water was just too frigid, uh, but the kids loved it, so I'm grateful to God for that. This morning we will look uh, together at Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 9. If you have your Bibles um, or your iPad or whether you have in front of you, let's turn there. I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to uh, jump into God's Word together this morning. Uh, just so, as a way of a quick announcement, uh, we will, if, I hope you got our email yesterday, continue to look on Facebook and through email to get any updates that we're sending out. As of right now, we have, uh, we're going to go with what Governor Lee says and not to gather together uh, with 10 or more people until he lifts that uh, recommendation, that band uh, to gather. We, we will not gather here in this building. We are working. Uh, Lance is working. Jared is working. Uh, to, to find a way to somehow gather, as I said yesterday in that email, to, to do a drive-in service where you'd come and park your cars, roll up your windows, listen to uh, the preaching and the music through an FM, your FM radio. So we're working on that. As soon as we get that, uh, those details uh, and that technology wrinkled out, uh, ironed out uh, from all the wrinkles, we will let you know the hope and prayer. You can be praying for Lance, myself. And Jared, the hope is to do that next Sunday, if not for sure the following Sunday. Uh, we're we're going to try to do different things uh, here to uh, just stay connected and yet um, just to, to be engaged with one another as we come to hear and to experience the word of the Lord. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump into the passage uh, this morning. Uh, let me actually read the passage first and then I'll pray. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through uh, 9. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. God, I'm grateful for your uh, inspired and errant and fallible word. I'm grateful, God, that 
you gave this word to us in moments like these to bring us peace, to calm our anxiety. You give us your word, even in the good times, to continue to encourage us and uplift us. And so I pray this morning, God, as we come to your word, as we come to worship you, that you would use your word to transform our hearts and our minds, as this passage says. That you would use your word to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. We know, God, that Satan would have a field day and desires to have a field day with this anxiety that this virus has created. And yet we continue to hold fast to you, the anchor and the perfecter of our faith. And so, God, even this morning we come to you. We pray that in these moments you will still our hearts, still our minds to focus on you and what you have for us. Again, thank you for the last few days, just the beautiful weather you've given to us to be able to get out and about and uh, just to, to enjoy each other, to enjoy your creation. I'm grateful for that again today. Continue to lead us, guide us this morning, open our hearts and our minds to all that you would have for us. We praise the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. The title, if you are taking notes, I believe Tracy sent out. A quick outline of what the, the passage would be, but it's the antidote to anxiety. And Paul in this passage gives us four antidotes to how do we deal with our anxiety? Because all of us, we uh, are anxious. Uh, we can see that across, uh, not just here in Tennessee, but across the U.S., across this world. This Pandemic has brought a lot of anxieties, a lot of uncertainties, a lot of things beyond our control, a lot of what does the next uh, update from our government or from uh, President Trump have to say to us? Will there be lockdown? Will there not be lockdown? There's just all this angst. Will, will we find the food that we need? Will we be able to get out and about? And so there's all these anxieties. I want to touch on four things that bring anxieties, and then I want to look at the four things that Paul says. These four things are found throughout the book of Philippians, and so these are not new to me, but you, you can see all of these. Uh, in Philippians, there's this, the, the four R's of anxiety. There's probably 104, but the first one is rejection. Anxiety brings rejection, or rejection brings anxiety. Because it's the unknown uh, about what's going on, and all of us has experienced that. There's anxiety when it comes to resistance. We've seen that in different ways and forms and shapes. Uh, probably the one that's hitting more than any of them right now is the recession. There's uh, economical recession. I just read this week that 3 million, I believe it was 3 million Americans uh, were laid off or lost their jobs this week. That, that's a lot. Out of 300 million people, 3 million of those people lost their jobs. And so there's anxiety around money, economic insecurities, and what will people do? Which then leads to the last one. There's always anxiety within relationships. I was talking to some friends of mine uh, in the field that I'm in about this, about anxiety around this pandemic and, uh, and about Relationships, And now what's going to happen is you're going to have all these people cooped up in a house for days and hours and weeks on end. And that's going to stir people's emotion. And there's going to be conflict. And that conflict is going to arise anxiety. And so what do we do with this anxiety? A simple definition of anxiety is this. Uh, anxiety is an inward focus 
to control our external circumstances. So when I get anxious, it's to grab control of whatever I can because I want to bring peace to my internal world because I really know that I can't do that to the external world. So the external world around me is in chaos. So I'm going to do everything in my ability. You'll do everything in your ability to gain control of something to bring the disturbance level down. So again, anxiety is an inward focus to control our outward experiences or our outward circumstances. And now Paul in this passage says to us about those things, about our anxieties. How do we deal with our anxieties? The four antidotes are this. We are to praise, we are to pray, we are to ponder, and we are to practice. The four P's of our uh, anxiety and how we handle our anxiety. And so let's look at the first one. But before we get to the first one, we got to remember where Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. Paul is not chilling on a beach with some daiquiri just hanging out relaxing. He's not saying to the people of Philippi, hey, when things are all good, all is chill in the world. No, Paul is writing this to us and to the people of Philippi from a prison cell in Rome, chained to a prison guard. So if there's a man that understands anxiety, there's a a man that understands his external world or his external circumstances and how they're chaotic. It would have been Paul because Paul was not on some beach As he penned these words, he was sitting in a damp, cold cell in Rome, not knowing what his fate would be. You see, he was on trial for bringing the gospel to the Roman world or or to uh, a place, the Gentiles. And the Gentiles did not want the word of God. They did not want to know Christ. So Paul is writing and he does not know his outcome. He doesn't know that, that he will be set free. He doesn't realize what's about to happen. All he knows is I'm either going to die for the faith or I'm going to continue to live for the faith. He says, for me to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. So he's content in all things, even as he sits in a prison cell. And my question to my own heart is this. I'm in no prison cell today here in Walter Hill here at this church. I have still some freedoms. I have some freedoms even with this coronavirus, but man, my heart feels like it's in prison. Does yours as well? And, and so we must wrap our minds around what do we do in this chaos? Many of us may feel even today that we are in prison because of our anxiety. And so what do we do? The first one is this. Paul tells us in verse four and five, he tells us to praise. First way that we are to handle our anxiety or have an antidote to our anxiety is to praise. His words are this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul tells us the first thing we are to do is to rejoice or to find joy or to worship. Uh, Another way to think about joy or rejoicing or worship is this. What do we find our value in? One writer says it this way. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you or to me, to reflect on its beauty and importance until our heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness 
of it. You see, what Paul knows is this, that we were created to worship. And all of us will worship something. And so what Paul is going to say to us, hey, I'm going to tap into your worship. He wants us to rejoice. You see, our anxiety, if we're honest, we are finding worship in something, even in our anxiety. Like all the places we spend our time, we're finding worship in those places. And yet Paul says, I know that you're going to worship. But now he tells us who we are to worship. Look at the next words. We, we can see that this is not a suggestion to the Philippians, nor is it a suggestion to us. He uses the word always. That's a, a command. He says it again, always and again. Again, I say rejoice. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is a commandment that we are to worship, but who are we to worship? And Paul says the who in the passage is in the Lord. We are to find our worship or our value or the thing that we find delight in is in the Lord. So my question to you, my question to me is through this anxiety, through this pandemic, am I finding my worship in the Lord. If I were to do a, an assessment of my heart and my mind, where does my worship go? Where does my contemplation go? Where does the places I find my value go? You see, we are all going to worship. It's just what or who are we going to worship? And Paul implores us by command, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord reorient our lives around not this anxiety of this chaos, but orient our lives around the Lord. And then he says this. So we are to worship. We are to worship the Lord. And then he uses, well, when are we to worship? He says, always. What Paul is saying is in every circumstance, we are to worship the Lord. Always. So the challenge that I face, the challenge you face today is, am I worshiping the Lord always? Have I in my life, have you in your life found value in worshiping the Lord through this chaos? Are your affections being stirred for the things of the Lord? Are your desires being pointed to the Lord? You see, what Paul knows is this. That the first place that we have to get to is we have to reorient our lives, not on the things of this world, but the one who's the sustainer of the things of this world. And so what Paul is imploring to us, hey, take your mind from this earthly place and put it to a heavenly place. So our, it, it matters what and who and when we worship. There has to be a reorientation of our heart. I'll get to that in the application. So the first thing that we are to deal with in our anxieties, how we are to deal is with our praise. We are to reorient our lives around worship and then in that praise, it, it's now an external thing to other people. Paul says in verse 5, he says, once we reorient our lives into worship, he says this, then our lives will be reasonable to everyone. He says it this way, let your reasonableness be known to everyone or let your gentleness or let your way of life be known to people. And so what Paul is saying, when we reorient our minds, we reorient our hearts around the things of the Lord, then we'll become what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. We will become the salt and light of the world. We will take this world on in a gentle way. 
Again, when we have anxiety, are we not more inward focus about ourselves than outward focus on other people? And Paul is saying, once you reorient your hearts and minds around the things of the Lord, the things that you will now reorient yourself will be to the things of other people. This is a gospel opportunity for us to share the love of Christ in this chaotic world. So we rejoice in the Lord always. And then we become the hands and the feet once our anxiety is dealt with through our praise. And then Paul tells us the next thing is we are to pray. Verse 5b, he says this, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and request, and let your requests be known to God. Paul is going to move from praising God to praying to God. He's going to tell us now we must take our attention off of these things around us and bring them as a sacrifice to the Lord or a petition to the Lord. He's saying that we have to remember that the Lord is at hand. Oftentimes in our anxiety, we do not believe that God is at hand. Therefore, when we don't believe that God is at hand, we won't take our prayers and our supplication and our thanksgiving and our request to the Lord. We will want to take life into our own hands. And so Paul is saying, when you praise the Lord, you will reorient yourself to then know that God is at hand. And now we can bring our petitions before him. Paul says these four things, how we are to pray. So in your prayer life, in my prayer life, he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So I'm to be anxious about nothing, but in everything I'm to pray. So he's saying, stop looking at your stuff. Look to the Lord in anything and everything. It's a, a, great, a lesser to a greater than approach that Paul is taking in this passage. He says four things. We are to pray. We're to bring supplication. We're to bring thanksgiving. And we're to bring requests. Why would Paul use these Four words that seem in, to be the same exact thing. The first one is prayer. Prayer is simply this. It simply means to come to God. When we pray, we simply are just coming to God as we are. But he's reminding us we can come to God because God is already at hand. The Lord is near is what he says. So because the Lord is at near, we can come to the Lord. We don't have to just wait for the Lord to come to us. We can come to the Lord. And so in our lives, are we bringing our petitions to the Lord because we are sure that he is at hand? Are we holding fast to the promise in this text? The Lord is at hand. So we will bring our prayers to him. Prayer draws us near to the Lord. It shows us our dependence. Prayer is going to begin the process of letting go of control. To live open-handed. To live in surrender. The first one he says is prayer. The next one he says is supplication. So not only are we to do bring our prayers to the Lord, but we are bringing our supplication to the Lord. What does supplication mean? It simply means this, that we will come to God and ask him for what we need. So prayer brings us to God, and our supplication is what we bring to God. So prayer brings us to him. Supplication is what we bring to him. My question to you, my question to myself in this time is what are my supplications to the Lord? I'll skip the next one in the text and come back to it. But the next one that I'll hit on is request. So he says, pray, 
bring your supplications, and then he says bring your requests. Well, what's the difference between prayer, supplications, and requests? Remember, it's prayer bringing us to God. Supplication is what we bring to God. And, and the next one, request. It is a detailed prayer or a detailed supplication. I can bring things to God in a general way, but what Paul is saying to us is, hey, come to God with your supplication, with the details of your supplication. How often do we pray prayers without detail? And so Paul is imploring us, if you want to deal with your anxiety, cry out to a living God the details of your life, the details of my life, the details of our church's lives. And then lastly, he says, in your prayer life, as you bring your prayers, as you bring your supplication, as you bring your request, he says this, how are we to do that? We're to do it with thanksgiving. We must come to the Lord with an attitude of gratitude. Even in the midst of this chaos, do we have a gratefulness for all that God is doing, has done, and will do in your life? But I want to ask a question. I want to ask this one question in the text. Because I think it's the hinging point of the text. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known or be made known to God. In the Greek, the word means this. To be made known to God. It means towards God. It means to turn to God. And so I can make my request known to God, but is my heart oriented? Have I turned to the Lord? See, I have to turn from my anxiety as I'm praying. My, my prayer life ought to turn me from my anxiety to the Lord. And if I'm honest, oftentimes, even in my prayer life, I'm still consumed with my anxiety. And so Paul is saying to us, hey, in your time of your desperate need, in your prayer life, and in this anxiety, you must, I must, the church must Turn from our anxiety and turn our face to the Lord. And so my question to myself is, where has my face been turned during my prayer life? I can be praying all day and still be focused on my anxiety. But Paul is saying we must turn to the Lord. Where's your face facing this morning through this crisis? I'll come back to verse 7 as a way of application. The next thing Paul says after we are to pray, after we are to praise, so praise, prayer, the next one is this. We must ponder or we must think. Finally, brothers, he says this in verse 8. Finally, brothers, to the church, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is uh, commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy, thank or ponder these things. You see what Paul is going to say to us. Is when we are caught up in our anxiety. What do we ponder? If you're like me. You ponder the crisis. You ponder this pandemic. You put your attentions. Uh, affections towards all the chaos. In my life. When I get to a place of anxiety. My thinking is off. And so what Paul is now saying to us. Once we reorient ourselves to the Lord. Once we Pray to the Lord. Now we must what? We must ponder the things of the Lord. So he gives us eight things. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, praiseworthy. And so what are those eight things? The first one is whatever is true. Or ponder the truth. Well, what is the truth 
This is the truth. It's what Jesus says, I am the truth. Are we pondering the truth? Are we pondering CNN? Are we pondering NBC? Are we pondering Fox News? Are, are we pondering the internet for what we think will bring relief to the anxiety? I don't know about you, but as I go to the internet, my anxiety only increases. Every passing day since last Sunday to this Sunday, the numbers seem that they're just doubling by the moment, which brings anxiety. And yet, I have to be honest and say, I don't often ponder the truth. And I must reorient my brain, my thinking around the truth. The second is this, that we must be honorable. We must live lives of honor and ponder the things that bring honor. Then he says we must ponder the justice or what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. I could go through each one of those and tell you what they mean, but it, this simply means this. What Paul is saying to us, if you look at those eight things, is Christ not the truth? Is Christ not honorable? Was Christ and is Christ not just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellence and praiseworthy? What Paul is telling us, we must think about who Christ is. So when we praise God, we pray to God, now we ponder who Christ is. These are the characteristics of Christ. And so for you and in my life, the question is, this morning, what am I pondering? Am I pondering Christ, the risen Savior, and all that he's done for me? You see what Paul says in other places of his epistles are this, that we must have the mind of Christ. Well, how are we going to have the mind of Christ if we do not know Christ? We must orient our minds around who Christ is and what he has done. Do you have the mind of Christ? Paul implores us throughout his epistles, to have the mind of Christ. So after we've praised God for who he is, after we've prayed to God for what he is to give us and we are to give to him, after we ponder who Christ is, we must do what? Paul says the last place of our anxiety, the last remedy or the last antidote to our Anxiety is we must practice. He said what you have learned, what you received, what you've heard and seen. So Paul says you've learned this from me. You've received this from me. Meaning Paul's given it to them. You've heard it from him. You've seen Paul do it. Now practice these things. Well, what are these things that Paul is speaking of in this passage? I believe what Paul is saying is that we must practice the truth. We must practice being honorable. We must practice being just. We must practice being pure. We must practice being lovely. We must practice being commendable and excellent. And we must live lives that are praiseworthy. Because we can see Paul throughout his epistles. He was a man. He said over and over again to all the people he wrote to, Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, the only way that we will follow Paul or follow Christ is to understand who Christ is. We must have the mind of Christ. 
If we do not have the mind of Christ, we will not pr practice the things of Christ. You see what Paul is saying to us throughout this passage is this. We must change the way we think. We must change the way we think. Once the, we change the way we think, we will change the way that we do life. Our anxiety will change. Now, I'm not saying just change your behavior. That is not what I mean. You, you see in the passage, the behavioral piece is the last piece. But our behavior will change once we praise God, once we pray to God, once we ponder the things of the Lord. All those things will change how we live our lives. My great fear for my own life, my great fear for us as a church, are we are worshiping our anxiety. We are praying to our anxiety. We are pondering our anxiety. And we are practicing the things of our anxiety. And what Paul is saying to us is, hey, if you want a antidote for this chaos or for this anxiety, we must praise God, pray to God, ponder Him, and then become like Him, to practice Him. And then Paul says this as a way of application. We'll go back to verse 7 and the last part of verse 9. The application is this. The promise of this, when we deal with our anxiety and we see that God has dealt with our anxiety he says this and the peace of God which is surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind and then in the last place he says and the God of peace will be with you we see the God of peace in verse 7 we see the God of peace in verse 9, the promise is this. When we orient ourselves around the Lord through praise, prayer, pondering, and practice, we will have the peace of God. Notice what the passage says. The passage does not say you will have peace with God. You will not have peace from God. He uses one small two-letter word. You will have the peace of God, which means the God of peace becomes our peace. Now, it is true that we do have peace with God through the salvation and the death of Christ. That is our partition from Christ that gave, he put on our behalf. We have peace with him. Like There is now no wrath coming to us, so we do have peace with God. We do have peace from God. That's Emmanuel, God given to us. But this passage doesn't say you'll have peace with God. It doesn't say you'll have peace from God. It says, no, you will have the peace of God. He's saying this, God himself will be with us in our anxiety. That's such a huge promise to us. And so what does it mean to have the peace of God? Three promises we see in this text. The first one is this, the peace of God does this. It will guard our minds and our hearts. I do not have to guard my mind and my heart anymore from my anxiety. The peace of God is the thing that will guard mine and your heart and mine from our anxiety. God will do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Apart from God, you and I will always be caught in anxiety. But I have now the peace of God that guards me, my heart and my mind from my anxiety. Here's the other part about the peace of God. In the last part of the passage in verse 9, it says, the peace of God will be with you. Another way that Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 28, I will always be with you. 
The peace of God isn't something that comes and goes. It isn't like we need to go get the peace of God tomorrow or get the peace of God today. No, the promise from God is that when we have peace, we have God and we always have the peace of God with us, even in the midst of our circumstances. That's the reason Paul could say, in all things, I rejoice. In all things, I find contentment. Even when he's jailed, even when he's getting beaten, even when he's shipwrecked, you see the peace of God with Paul. Because Paul believes with all of his heart that he has the God of peace with him. So it guards our hearts and minds. It's always with us. And the, excuse me, it says this. And the peace of God surpasses all understanding. The peace of God takes my mind and heart from my anxiety and surpasses it. Or brings completion to it. Or brings, even though there's not an understanding, a fullness to it. It guards me, it's with me, and it surpasses all understanding. My question to you this morning is this. Do you have the peace of God? You see, you cannot have peace, the peace of God, if you do not have peace with God. And that is where we have the peace of God because God himself brought his peace to us in his son Jesus. So the only way to have the peace of God is through peace with God. Have you placed your hope and your faith and trust in Christ? Have you laid all of it out before him and prayed to him? You see what the psalmist says is this. Cast your burdens on the Lord. Psalm 55, 22. And the promise is this. And he will sustain you. But the first burden that you must cast before the Lord is your heart. Have you come to know him, trust him as your Lord and Savior? If you do not know that, you will always, always have anxiety. Because you will always want to be in control. And you will always think you have to be in control. But when we come and we have peace with God, then God becomes our peace. And we realize that he is in control of all things. And we no longer have to have control. That we can surrender our lives and our care and our control and our anxieties to him. Why? Because he cares for us. So again, this morning, as a way of application, do you have peace with God? You cast all of your burdens onto him. Let us be a people through this chaos that will be a people that praise God, that pray to God. That, that ponder the things and the character of Christ when we practice and become more and more like Christ so that the peace of God will be with us. Let me pray for us this morning as we close. God, I'm grateful for this passage. So often, God, I know in my own life, anxiety is the thing in my life, that inward focus, that I want to take control of my outward circumstances. And yet, God, I can come to this passage and know I don't have to. All I have to do is come and praise you, pray to you, ponder who Christ is, and practice the things of Christ. And that is the antidote. That's the remedy to our anxiety. And then your passage, your word says to us, and the peace of God will be with you. And it surpasses all understanding, and it guards our hearts, and it guards our minds. Love 
Where it guards our hearts, not minds. It's positional. Guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, not in myself. Christ Jesus guards my mind and my heart. So lead us, God. I pray for us today. I pray for us throughout this next few weeks of the uncertain. That we would experience your peace today. So this morning, God. This morning. Have we placed our hope, our faith, and trust in you? Do we have first peace with you? Do we realize that peace comes from you through Jesus Christ? Because once we have peace with you, we see that it's from you, then we have your peace in us. Give us peace, I pray, in the midst of our anxiety. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.